Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Song of Psalm, we're going to go uh, to chapters 5 and chapter 6 today. Um, but as you're turning there, I want to read to you our theme verse, uh, which is found in Song of Solomon chapter 1. And uh, it's going to start in verse 1, and it's going to go through verse 3. And uh, it says this, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me. Now this is the, the, the she's talking right now, his bride's talking. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name, which is your character or who you are, is oil poured out. Therefore, the virgins love you. I love this part. For your love is better than wine. Wine. We've been on a journey here uh, over the last several weeks to talk about love. Uh, to talk about, yes, that you would understand in great depth the love of God, how much God loves you. Hopefully you heard that being communicated last week, and I know that there were several testimonies I heard back from people about, man, how that message impacted them. But that we would walk away from this series knowing the love of God better, knowing how to love God more intently, but also dealing with the subject of intimacy between a man and a woman. That if you're married today, that you would know how to love your spouse better, that you would know how to love your husband better, and, and husbands, we would know how to love our wives better. And if you're here and you're not married yet, um, or maybe you're beyond those years, that you'd be able to pass this information down, or you'd be able to get ready for that season uh, when you have it. And so that we would walk away just knowing the love of God more. There's something pretty awesome about the book of Song of Solomon. It says this, and you can write this down, 1 Kings 4.32. It says that Solomon wrote 3,000 poems, and he wrote about 1,005 songs. Now that's a lot of writing, okay? And not all of those are contained within what we call the Holy Bible. They're not in the Scriptures. He wrote so many of them, but yet there was something about this one that he wrote, that God said, man, I want that one to be in the Bible. I want that one to be in there. And because God placed it in here, uh, because it's, it's in this book, that means there's something for you and I to learn. Are you with me this morning? There's something for you and I to grasp from this one. What is it about this one that God said, man, out of all of the 3,000 poems you wrote, Solomon, out of, all of the, out of all of the songs that you wrote, Solomon, this one needs to be in there. And so we've been going through it, and it's going to be a six-week series. We've covered subjects like the art of attraction. How, how do you be attracted to somebody? What does that consist of? What does that look like? And you can go back and catch this on our, our website, or you can catch it on our app if you want to download that. We then talked about dating seasons. Brandon uh, preached a message on the seasons of dating and what that looks like in the context of Scripture. Last week, we talked about intimacy, And I saw a bunch of dudes taking notes. Come on, somebody. We talked about S-E-X. We talked about sex, intimacy within a marriage and and, and what that is supposed to look like and and the context of that. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Too often times in church, when it comes to the subject of sex, of intimacy, you always hear it in a way of don't do it or stop, right? Very seldom. Come on, how many of you guys, maybe you grew up in church and you went to youth ministry, right? And you always heard about, and so then you grow up with this understanding that sex is bad, sex is evil, sex is of the devil, right? 
Well, we know that's not true, right? God created it. And so we talked about out of Song of Solomon, what should intimacy look like? Because here's the thing. If we don't talk about it in the church, where are we going to learn it from? Okay? And so we talked about it from a biblical perspective, and we talked about intimacy. Uh, Today, as we read through uh, Song of Solomon 5 and 6, the subject that we're going to cover today, and if you're a note taker, you can write this down, trouble in paradise. Trouble in paradise. Every relationship, every relationship, I don't care if it's a a brother-sister relationship, a brother-brother, a friend, a a mom and a daughter, a mom and son, whatever it might be, every relationship will have what we call conflict, okay? The only way conflict stops is when they die. Come on, somebody. Okay, and hopefully you're not the one that caused that to happen. Are you with me, okay? Every relationship in life will face this thing called conflict. And so here now we find uh, this, this, this couple that's all been ooey and gooey as we've been reading and it's just been like, oh, right? Now we see and we get a glimpse in chapter five uh, of what appears to be their first disagreement, okay? And then in chapter six, we see them begin to resolve this. We're gonna read both chapters today, all right? If you have your Bible, follow along with me, Um, your iPhone, your Android, or you can look on the screens as I read. Song of Solomon, chapter five, reading from the English Standard Version, and it reads, and this is him talking. Actually, she talks first here. No, it's him talking. Here we go, verse one. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh with my spices. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And then here's the chorus of others we talked about. This is where they pipe in and they sing. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. But here's the problem. Here she is. The bride begins to talk. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. What's the picture there? She's in bed. Her husband isn't. So she's trying to sleep, but she's unable to sleep because where's my love? He's not lying here with me. But she hears a sound, and and is it possibly him knocking at the door? Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. And in Hebrew, that means I have a really bad headache. (laughs) I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? In other words, I was prepared for you, and you're not here, but is this you knocking at the door? I rose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. Okay? So she hears him knocking, she's laying in bed trying to go to sleep, but now if you've been married for a long time and, and, and your spouse goes on a trip, how many know it's really hard to sleep at night, okay? And some of you are like, I haven't had that happen. Well, fall in love, dude, all right? <laughs> I know when my wife's gone, she was gone overnight to, to see her dad um, about a week ago, and uh, man, I just tossed and turned all night, and I kept going to the door, but she wasn't there, you know? She goes and she opens the door, but he's not there. And here she continues, my soul has failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. So something has happened in this couple, 
Okay, if you, if you haven't read back, go back and read. Okay, it's a love story. But now something has happened. I don't know if he was out too late with his buddies shooting pool. Okay, uh, he was up too late watching ESPN, but she goes to bed. He's not there. Obviously, there's this quarrel going on. Something's not right. And so finally, maybe he comes to himself. He's like, I got to go up there. And he goes up, and the door's locked. Man, she must be really mad, right? So she goes out, verse 7. Call him, but he gave no answer. Verse 7, the watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls. And here she begins to talk to the others. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. I can't find him. I'm desperate for him. Where is he at? And here's the others. What is your beloved? More than other beloved, O most beautiful among women, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? In other words, they say this, hey, look, see, we told you it ain't going to work. He's just like every other man, okay? What, 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 is he, what is he above any of the others? Why are you looking for him? This, is, this went the way of everyone else's relationships. She speaks. My beloved is radiant and ruddy. Hmm. Distinguished among 10,000s, his head is the finest gold, his locks are wavy, black as a raven. My wife talks to me like this sometimes. <laughs> now listen to what happens. The others are saying, see, we told you it, it wouldn't work out. Like, he's no different than any others. And she takes offense. She said, no, you know, he is different. He's way better looking than your man. What's your man got to do with me? Verse 12, his eyes are like doves beside streams of water bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with jewels. His body is polished ivory. It's been a while since you used that one, babe. Bedecked. With sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he altogether is desirable. Come on, somebody. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. In other words, take that. Don't talk smack about my man. We, we, we're, we're having a discussion right now, but no one invited you in. Okay, chapter six, where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? And then she begins to talk again. She says, my beloved has gone down to his garden. Maybe this was his place of prayer, his place where he escaped to just kind of collect his thoughts and, and begin to, you know, put things into context. Oh, my beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds and spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. There's a confidence in her, isn't there? Yeah, we're, we're having a disagreement, but you know what? I know where he's at. He's, he's clearing his head. He's getting, his, he's getting things right. I mean, I belong to him, and he belongs to me. There's some confidence there. And then he begins to speak. You are beautiful. That's tears of my love. Lovely as Jerusalem. 
awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. He's used that one before. Okay. Now look at what he does. Look at what he does. When was the last time he used this? He used these words when they were in their honeymoon, their private chamber. We talked about it last week. He goes back to the very words he spoke over her when they were just passionately in love. He returned to those words, okay? He rekindles the flame and the passion in the middle of a discussion. Come on, somebody. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead, your teeth are like flocks of ooze. Don't bite me. And have come up from the washing. All of the, here it is, the exact same words. They all bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranates behind your veil. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. Okay, here, here we see what's happening now. There was this fight in chapter 5, this disagreement, something's going on. And now we see in 6, they're beginning to return to each other and they're beginning to make amends. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines also, and they praised her. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? And she begins to speak. I went down to the uh, nut orchard to look the blossoms of the valley to see whether whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsmen, a prince, and then the others. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that they may look upon you. Shulamite is the feminine version of Solomon. And so they say, hey, go back to being one. Return. And then he speaks up. Why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? In other words, hey, everyone looking on right now? Yeah, we, we, we had a little bit of a disagreement. But why should you look at her and why should you look at me as if we're two armies going into battle? We're not. We're one. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. God, thank you that your word is awesome. I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that, Lord, you would just download this message into our spirit, that, Lord, we would walk out of here with a new confidence, God, about, our, about a love for our spouse, and that we would walk out of here, more importantly, about a love that you have for your children, that, God, we would walk out of here eternally changed because we came in contact with your awesome word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. All relationships will face conflict sometime, somewhere. Okay, whether it's a dating relationship, a marriage relationship, you're going to have conflict. Okay? Now you need to hear this. The goal uh, of what we're talking about today and really the goal within a relationship is, is not to try to not have conflict. The goal in our relationship is to have conflict in a biblical manner. Okay? The goal is to have conflict in a godly way. The goal is not to have conflict the way you see it in the world. Get up, I'm out of here. Okay? It's to have conflict, but be able to take godly principles and resolve whatever that conflict is. It is impossible to not have conflict in relationships. And it is impossible not to have conflict within your marriage. And all the married people said, 
It's going to be there. It's going to happen. I still remember our first discussion. We were engaged. And uh, something was going on with her car, and so I needed to drive over to her place and take her to work. And so I said, okay, be ready, got to pick you up, I'll drop you off at work, and then I got to go to work. And so I went, and I picked her up, and we're driving to work, and all of a sudden she's like, I forgot my shoes. And I'm like, well, what's on your feet? Well, these aren't my work shoes, I can't wear these. And so literally... This, this inanimate object called shoes turned into the most, probably honestly to this day, still one of the biggest conflicts we've ever had in our relationship. We've been married for almost 17 years now, and it was over shoes. Over shoes. So now I've bought her like 50 pairs of shoes. We have some stashed in the car, some stashed in homes. It's, they're all over the place. I said, hey, we'll, be, we'll, con- we'll conflict about something else, but we're not going to do it over shoes, all right? It's, it's amazing to me how sometimes conflict, especially within marriages, happens over the silliest things. Hey, have you seen my wallet? What I, am I your wallet keeper? <laughs> I was just wondering if you've seen it. I got my own wallet to watch. I got to watch after your wallet too. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like never over the major things. You know, it's, it's always over these little things, and all of a sudden it's just like, it's this huge, it's like, what are we doing, okay? What is it? It's the enemy trying to weave his way in, okay? Conflict, it happens. And what we need to decide to do, now listen to me, it's a decision. Here's one thing you need to learn, okay? If you get nothing out, out of today, at least get this, okay? Because this is so important. We are in a world that teaches us that feelings lead the way. If it feels right, it must be right. But that is a lie. Choices lead, feelings follow. I choose, and you know what? The feelings are going to come, and they're going to back it up. If you live your life the other way around, you will live miserable, and you will live conflicted in every relationship in your life. Okay? There are days I don't feel like loving my wife. It's happened once in 17 years. Okay? Listen to me. I made a choice 17 years ago when I said, for better, for worse, till death do us part. Please don't kill me, okay? (laughs) I made a choice, okay? And as I continue to choose to love her, the feelings follow. We've got to choose. We've got to make a decision. And we see that in the context of what we read today. Listen, you've got to understand something. Something was going on with this couple. It was enough to where she went to bed by herself, locked the door. And she's lying on her bed, but she can't fall asleep because her husband's not there. Her husband, whatever he did, I don't know, it doesn't get into that. Okay, well, whatever the conflict was, there was conflict. Okay? And what we see now is we see that they made a choice and they they, they made a commitment to each other. And because they made that choice to commit to each other, it did not matter what the conflict was. It didn't matter what the chorus of friends was saying. No, no, no. This is my man and I'm going to find him. Okay? Because there'll be days when you don't feel. It could could be in a a friendship relationship. There's going to be days, but you've you've got to choose. Here's a, here's a theory on relationships, that, that relationships go through certain phases, 
okay? And especially marriage relationships. The first phase is this, is the honeymoon phase. Anybody ever heard of the honeymoon phase before, okay? Now, I know that some pastor at one point, probably me, got up there and said, man, we've been in the honeymoon phase for 17 years. I was lying, okay? There's two words put together, honey, sweet, moon, short. (laughs) It's sweet for a short time. The moon's phase is about 29 and a half days, all right? The honeymoon phase, it does not last. It can be rekindled, it can be rebuilt, but relationships are work, okay? (laughs) I wish I could see who said that, because I have to see if they're getting jabbed right now by their... Relationships are work, okay? And so this first phase is the honeymoon phase, and this is, it's sweet, man, this is, this is great, and I'm not saying it only lasts for 30 days, but at some point, all relationships kind of come out of that phase. It could last a year, two years, whatever, but at some point, and, 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 and you know, that's a great phase to be in, and I believe it's God's design, because it blinds us to all of each other's flaws. Come on, somebody. And there's that honeymoon phase that, man, my wife is perfect, you know? And, and she looks at me and says, he's almost perfect. No, I'm just <laughs> okay? There's this honeymoon phase, okay, where you're writing poems to each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> writing like little, okay? And at some point that ends. And the next phase is this, and now this is where most relationships don't make it past. The next phase is this, it's the dis- Illusionment phase. Now this is the phase where you step in, the honeymoon's ended, and you had this idea of what the relationship was going to look like. You had, in other words, you had an idea of the way she was going to be in the relationship. Let's be honest. Or if you're on the other side, the way he was going to be in the relationship. And you had this illusion Men, we had this illusion that when we got married that I was going to come home to dinner on the table every night and she was going to have hot red lipstick on with a, an outfit and it was, you know. What's an outfit? What are you talking about? What are you guys thinking? All right? You know? And then after dinner, she was going to clear the table and do the dishes while you sat and watched ESPN. Then she was going to come and serve you dessert on the couch and rub your shoulders. Come on, somebody. Now, I know all the married men are being real quiet right now. I never thought that, honey. I don't know what he's talking about. No, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. Liar, okay? And now the honeymoon phase ends, and you're in this relationship, and you're like, oh, man, this is not... Me cook? I don't cook, I grill. Right? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Okay. And, 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 and now you're, you're stuck, but then here's what happens. Here's why mo- a lot of marriages don't make it past this or relationships, because now what they do, they say, but wait a second, there's got to be somebody out there like that. And now you project an image of what you think should be, and it's not here in this relationship, but I know there's somebody out there like that. And so now you begin to look. There's got to be somebody out there like that. Okay? Disillusioned. Disillusioned. But here is what sets godly relationships apart from all of them. 
Because there's this third phase, and it's called the commitment phase. I am committed to you even though the illusion that I created is not real. I'm committed. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, till death there is nothing. Like, I am in a season, like, I, I've been there for a while now, but I am so committed to my wife. And, and so committed that literally there is nothing she could do other than kill me. That could cause this relationship. I mean that. Nothing. But pastor, what if? No, there's nothing. But what if? No, there's nothing. I will chase her down. I will keep going after. I'll keep pursuing her. Well, you say that now, pastor, but no. Listen, I said it at the altar 17 years ago. When I do premarital counselings with people, I paint a picture for them. When you stand at the altar, because I've seen way too many divorces. When you stand at that altar and you say, I do, what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, you know, it means we're married. No, but go back and look at the rest of the vows. For better, for worse. Think of the worst. And I've done this with couples where I said, think of the worst thing that could ever happen in your relationship. Do you got it? Yeah. If that happens, will you stay married to her? Uh. Uh. Okay. This couple we see here, what sets them apart is they are committed. I mean, we even see the chorus of friends going around. See, we told you, he's no different. He's like every other man. And she begins to stand up for, no, 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 no. I'm committed. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. And the reason we as Christians, as Christ followers, can have that kind of commitment is because we got a God in heaven who sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you and me. He is so committed to us that the Bible says even if you are to make your bed in the pit of hell, guess what? He's going to be there right with you. And because God shows us that kind of commitment, we can, as Christ followers, say, you know what? I've received Receive that kind of commitment so now I can give that kind of commitment. The reason the world can't is because they haven't yet stepped into the relationship that you and I have, this committed relationship with Jesus. But because you and I have, we can be committed like that. We can say, man, nothing's going to separate me from my love. Are you with me today? So let me just give you three quick things. Just real quick, write these down. You can write them on your program. Um, but I encourage you to write them down. Take them down in your, your iPhone. Okay, don't just listen today. Come on, take, take something with you as you walk away. How to have conflict successfully. How to have successful conflict. Man, I learned a lot by watching my mom and dad. My parents were married for 51 years, and they would still be married today, but my dad got taken home about four years ago. 51 years, I got to watch my parents' relationship. And, and you learn so much from watching healthy marriages. That's what's so powerful about church, right? That's what's so powerful about being planted in a local church. That, that's what's so powerful about being a part of something bigger. Because you have resources available to you. What are those resources? They're called people. And you can learn by watching others. As iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen each other. And I'll tell you what, I'd rather learn from somebody else's mistakes 
than learn by making my own. Are you with me? I, I want to watch other people. That's why I want Canvas Church to continue to grow and I want to see all generations represented so that I can look at some marriages that are further along than my marriage. And I can say, you know, that, that's what I want. That's what's so awesome about having this couple here today. How, how long have you guys been married now? 59. Come on, somebody. 59 years. I only have 42 more to go. That's amazing. Okay? And, and we, we can glean so much by watching these healthy couples and health. I mean, I love watching uh, people in their, their dating seasons and watch how they're doing it within the context of the church and is it healthy? Man, because honestly, it's, it's, it, you don't see a whole lot of that today. But man, that's so, man, being a part of, of a church, it's so vital, man. Being plugged into the family of God, man, it's so healthy to be a part of the bigger picture and see these things going on. We see here that these onlookers are, are, are checking them out. Okay, what's going to happen? Is this one going to end like every other marriage? Is this one going to end? Or, or, or what's going to happen? And so they begin to paint a picture in chapter 6. How to have conflict success, successfully. Number one, act and don't react. Act and don't react. I, I'm going to be completely transparent right now. I am a huge reactionary person. I've learned over the last, not just in our relationship, but pretty much in anything. And, and my reaction isn't necessarily negative, but it's I want to get in and I want to fix right now. I, mean, I just react. Okay? But I've learned that in communication, in my marriage, and in other relationships, I can't always just react. I've got to learn to sit, process, and then take action. Okay? React, the literal, the literal word means to recreate what took place. If you study it out. So when you react, what you're doing is you're recreating what caused the conflict in the first place. And if we don't learn to just, okay, hold on a second, and learn to act, what reacting does is it takes the issue of, where's my wallet? <laughs> I can't find my shoes, and we make mountains out of molehills, right? We've got to learn uh, to, to act in these situations. Action is different than reaction. Reacting is recreating the event. Action is taking observation and saying, okay, this is what's happening. Here's how it's playing out. Okay, here's how we can solve this. And he learns this and she learns this. If you look at verses one through three, she doesn't react to the fact that he's not in bed with her. They want, the, the chorus of friends want her to react, but she doesn't. Instead, she says, uh-uh. And, and she, she goes, no, no, he went down to the garden. He's handling this right. He's thinking through some things. He's processing some stuff, and he's giving me my space too, and, uh, and, and we're going to work this thing out. They both learn to act and not to react. We need to learn to act and not react. This is the right thing to do. But here's the problem. Can I be honest with you? Here's the problem is that even in those moments when we slip away and clear our head, very rarely do we want to be the first one to go and to apologize. Because yeah, I shouldn't. She was wrong. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hopefully somebody's getting some out of this today and you're taking notes. But 
Nobody wants to be that first because then you look like the weaker vessel. Right? If I go, they're just going to learn to walk all over me. Well, what do you think Jesus meant when he said in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, lay down your life for your wife? Well, I don't like that verse. Well, then you won't like marriage. <laughs> okay? No one wants to be that first person that goes. And so here's what we do sometimes, right? We'll be sitting there in the middle of this conflict and you know, th- this hush will come, right? And you might even go to bed, although we'll talk about them. Don't let the bed go down. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Okay, you need to make... But here's what we'll do. We'll go get in bed or we'll just be sitting there and we'll be like... <clears throat> See, you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about, right? You just make some noises hoping that the other person is going to say something. <clears throat> <clears throat> Just reminding you, I'm right here. <clears throat> you all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> See, it's getting too real, huh? Too practical? Okay. But do we have, do we have 1 Peter 2.23? Can we pull that up? 1 Peter 2.23. Um, if we have it. If we don't, okay. Just write this down. Write down 1 Peter 2.23. And, uh, and look at the way Jesus acted when he, accusations were brought against him. And let that be a reminder how you and I need to be. Here's one thing you need to know is, is women, okay, and obviously we all want love, but women want to be loved. They want to know their love. They want, they want love. Men, we want respect. And so if we can just learn those things and the conflict. Whew. Number two, two more and we'll be done for the day. Number two, focus on the good and not the bad. Focus on the good and not the bad. Listen, I know that in the middle of conflict, at at, at that moment, there seems to be so many bad things about the person you're married to or the person you're in a relationship with, right? It's like, you know, I forgot my shoes. (laughs) I can't find my wallet. You forget everything. Is it getting too practical? You always do that. You never remember. You always say, "Uh uh-huh. You all know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) Don't focus on the bad. Focus on the good. Look, this is what they do. If you look at at verses 4 through 9, all of a sudden now, he starts to bring up the things he spoke over her on that night that they slipped away. And he brings that back. Oh, you got such beautiful hair. I don't know where your shoes are at, but baby, you're gorgeous. <laughs> he starts reminding himself and her of the good. Now, this is not, this is not avoiding the issue. This is bringing yourself back to the reality that I'm committed. And you know what? There is more good in my wife than there is bad. There is more good there. I'm committed. Okay? And and, and we need to remind ourselves sometimes of those things when we're in the middle of a conflict. Just take a step back and say, wait a second. This is not that big of a deal. And this is, I'll I'll be honest with you, and I think I've shared this with my wife. If not, I'm sharing it now. This is something I've really been working on in 2014. This is one of the things I'm committed to because I'm reactionary. 
I'm not perfect at it. It's been 17 years to take me to get to this point. Hopefully by the time I'm 59 years married, I'll have it mastered. Okay. But focus on the good, not on the bad. He chooses to see her in a certain way. Uh, if you look at this, it says that uh, she, he looks at her and says, you are perfect and unique. Was she perfect at that moment? No. But he chooses to see. You know what, baby? You're, 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 per, per, per. Whew, you're perfect. <laughs> I love what the Bible says in Philippians 4.8. Whatever things are good, whatever things are noble, whatever things... Think on those things. Think on those things. And think on the good things. Let me give you this last one. Number three. This is important. Talk and don't walk. Talk and don't walk. Now that doesn't mean that if for a moment you've got to slip away and compose before you talk things out. But listen to me. You cannot walk away from that conflict Go to bed that night, get up the next morning, and keep living like nothing happened. You will create a bitter relationship. And you will begin to grow distant from each other. That's why the Bible says, hey, don't let the sun go down on your body. Hey, talk it out. Talk it out. And my wife and I learned this. We actually learned it early on from our mentors. He said, hey, look, and they told us, I still remember the story they shared with us. But you've got to learn to work things out. Because just, just sweeping things under the rug, look, if you sweep something under the rug long enough, pretty soon there's going to be a pile under that rug. And it's going to be very obvious, hey, they're hiding something under the rug. You've got to learn to say, you know what? And, and we've done it. We've stayed up till I don't know, 12, 1, 2, 3. And just talked. Wow, you guys must really have some conflict. <laughs> She's working on it, don't worry. Um, <laughs> what? We'll yeah, we'll talk. <laughs> We've got to learn to talk things out. And if you would learn to talk things out, man, I'm telling you, and even, listen to me, even the most difficult things. I remember one time we were driving back from church. This was before I was a lead pastor of Canvas. We were youth pastors. Now I remember hearing a message one day from this, this pastor, and, and they were talking about how, and there is no shame or no harm at all. If you need to go get marriage counseling, you do it. We've never been in that place in our marriage, and I'm not saying we never will be, but we haven't in 17 years, thank God. I, I, I attribute a lot of that to the relationship my parents had, because I just learned so much from them. But this pastor was up there speaking one day and talking about how, man, their marriage almost fell apart, which I, I, I value that they're being transparent. But here's what I found my, myself doing. As I, was, I was like, man, marriage ain't that difficult. This is me on staff at a church sitting there listening. I was like, marriage ain't that, man. These guys they must have some real issues. <laughs> my marriage is awesome. I'm about seven years in, so about ten years ago. And I remember driving back from church that day. And just thinking to myself, like, my marriage is awesome compared to that, dudes. I mean, also in the Holy Spirit said, Ben, when's the last time you asked your wife how good your marriage is? And I said, I don't need to. It's awesome. 
And so we pulled in, I still remember, in our Honda Passport, we pulled up, parked in the driveway, and I just happened to look over and get enough boldness in me and say, hey, Dave, how do you think our marriage is doing? Well, now that you asked, (laughs) I learned so much in that conversation. Did we have a healthy marriage? Yes. But there were three specific things I walked away with in that conversation that I could do better as a husband. Because see, it's the reality, as perfect as I thought I was as a husband, this is who I need to grade it by, her. Not somebody else's sermon, not, 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 not a counselor, not, not Googling it. I need to look at my wife and say, hey, how am I doing? Are we okay? Because if she says we're not, we're not. Even if I think we are. Even if my buddies are like, dude, you got the best marriage ever. Whatever. I mean, it's like, <laughs> they, were, they were sipping a Coke. Come on. Might have had something in it, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, I need to ask my spouse. And here's the thing. The day I stop asking my spouse how our marriage is doing is the day I stop caring about our marriage. Yeah, we can have some difficult conversations, but here's the confidence. I have the confidence that this man and woman did. I am hers and she is mine. And we can talk about anything, anytime, not anywhere, but anything, anytime. We can talk about it. And I know that at the end of the conversation, she's not going to love me any less. Matter of fact, we're probably going to be more in love. Listen to me, the goal of our relationships. Listen, and the reason, the reason this is in the Bible is because God wants healthy relationships modeled for an unhealthy culture. Because culture stops at disillusionment. And we need to be people of faith that say we are committed to relationships. We are committed to the marriage relationship. For better, for worse, it doesn't matter. We're staying married. And now here's the thing. You might be sitting here today and say, well, I've already divorced. Okay. God's grace is sufficient. And he restores and he redeems. And now that you have this, what he's saying to you is, hey, now that you got it, doesn't matter. The past is the past. What I love about 1 Corinthians 5. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. And so this message in here isn't just for those that are aspiring to be married or for those that have never been through a difficult relationship that ended in divorce. Because at the end of the day, there's three wills involved in a marriage. It's your will, the spouse's will, and God's will. And if both of your wills don't line up with his will, there's going to be a problem. And so you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I, I went through a difficult, I went through divorce. Yeah. All things have become new. He restores, he recovers, and he re-energizes, and he puts something in you today to say, hey, you got some arsenal. It's time to use it. Whatever you're going through right now, we need to learn to be people of commitment. <laughs> say, God, I'm committed to you, I'm committed to my relationships, and I'm committed to my marriage. And if we can be people of commitment, I'm telling you that commitment will destroy the world's view of what a relationship looks like. Amen. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is, is amazing. God, thank you for, for teaching us 
from the book of Song of Solomon. God, thank you for taking us on this journey so that we can learn how to have healthy conflict. And that conflict does not have to result in us leaving. But that conflict can be the thing that builds the relationship even stronger than it was before. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for those this morning that are here. And and God, hopefully all we did was share what your word says. But God, I pray for those that are here. And first and foremost, I pray for those that have walked through divorce. Whether they've personally walked through it. God, or, or, or whether they were a child and saw it take place in their parents. God, we thank you this morning that in you all things can be made brand new. So I pray that this morning that as, as those that have been through that season would leave this place, they would not leave discouraged, but they would leave encouraged, knowing that, God, they've received something from your word today to say, I'm never going to go down that path again. And, God, you would make Lord, their relationship's brand new. Hallelujah. God, thank you so much for new beginnings and new possibilities. And Lord, I pray for marriages today, those that are married today, that God, if they find themselves in the middle of conflict, if they find themselves in the middle of a a season, God, where they're not seeing eye to eye, I pray that they would walk away with some things today that they could say, wow, this is, this is where we're at. This is what we need to work on. And their marriage would get stronger because of your word and your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray for those that are here today, those that are single. Maybe uh, they're, they're, they're on the other side of me. Maybe they, 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 their husband passed away, their wife passed away, and they're, they're on in their years. I pray that they would be able to take these tools Because, God, you didn't just call us to be hearers of the word. You called us to be doers of the word. And they would walk out of here with the arsenal to teach, God, a generation that needs to hear this message. And, Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning that, Lord, they haven't, not married yet, but here's that hope and that joy and that anticipation. God, I pray that today would be something they could tuck into their heart And when they find themselves in a moment of conflict, they could remember back to the book of Song of Psalm and say, man, I'm committed. I'm I'm gonna talk this thing out. I'm not gonna gonna react. I'm gonna gonna take action in this situation and and I'm gonna focus on all the good and the spouse that God you've given me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.